0: Well, it's good to be back. Uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. We're excited to be uh, back in the book of Revelation. Today, we're doing a series that focuses on the message to the seven churches of Asia Minor. It's uh, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Of course, the entire book is one big letter to the seven churches. But uh, this letter was written as what they call a circular Now, a circular would be written to one church, but the expectation was it to us to be passed around to other churches. And so we know that it wasn't just the seven major churches that saw this book. It was likely the smaller churches that were very close by. And we also know because we've seen copies that made its way into the other parts of the Roman Empire. Today we are sharing it with you. Revelation has a lot to say to us today. And uh, it's written, it was written, and is written, as a letter of hope to churches and people who were suffering during a time of great persecution. We've looked at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira. We have three churches left. Uh, Today we're hearing from Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, the message to the church at Sardis. Now, this church had fallen asleep in the light, so we don't want to end up there ourselves. Let's pray together as we begin. Father God, you are the great revealer. You're the Lord of revelation. As we open your word today, teach us and transform us into your likeness. Open our ears to hear so that we may understand what you're saying to the churches. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may have the wisdom and the strength to follow your word every day of our lives. Reveal yourself to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we had a bit of a break, and we went off to see our girls in the Philly area. And uh, as most of you know, our daughter Stephanie is getting married, and so the ladies went out on a wedding dress expedition in the afternoon. She's got pictures, and she's very happy to show them. I had a little time on my own, so I went over to Valley Forge. I had never been to Valley Forge. Uh, Living in this area, we are immersed in Civil War history, uh, but I have very little knowledge. I'm a little rusty in my Revolutionary War history, and uh, it was kind of an appropriate week to go and do that. Um, It was pretty hot outside, and then it started raining, so I didn't get a chance to see as much of the place as I would have liked to. Uh, This is the memorial arch for the soldiers. Just very inspiring, and uh, learned a lot while I was there. Um, In fact, I I was looking for highlights. I was trying to get some of the highlights in, and so I stopped at the visitor center, and I started talking to uh, one of the uh, park rangers there. And uh, he says, well, you can go here to the arch, and then the next stop on here is this cabin. He says, have you ever heard of the town of Waynesboro? I said, pick me, I'm from Waynesboro. Well, he says, that's uh, that's General Wayne's headquarters is this this cabin. And this is Wayne's Woods, this area adjacent to it, he says. So the town is named after this general. So it was just funny that he picked that uh, that particular example to uh, tie me into it. So, of course, I had to stop at Wayne's Woods along the way before I came home. Well, as I toured some of the encampment and some of the, the, the winter settlement where the Continental Army of George Washington wintered in 1777 and 1778, I, I remembered just how much of a sacrifice this was. Um, the winter was cold, it was brutal, and they were there for six months. Uh, There was a struggle. They couldn't manage the supply line. It was just disastrous, in fact. They just couldn't get supplies. And so about 1,700 to 2,000 soldiers died, likely from malnutrition malnutrition that led to starvation. This was a brutal time, a brutal winter, a great sacrifice here. It, It reminded me that just because the Declaration of Independence had been signed on this day, July 4th, 1776, it didn't mean that the war was over. It didn't mean that everything just suddenly stopped. I think it's very easy for us to get the impression that our forefathers signed the declaration and then it was all hot dogs and fireworks, you know. But it wasn't really like that. Uh, There was a lot more to do. The nation was just being born. And the enemy still held a lot of ground. At the church of Sardis in Asia Minor, it it started out really well. They believed, they came to Jesus, they made commitments, they did great things. And then they just kind of went to sleep on the job. Uh, In fact, it's worse than that. Jesus says that this church died spiritually. Let's look at the text. Uh, If you want, you you probably want to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. We're starting in the first verse of chapter 3, and it's good for you to follow along because I won't be putting the text up this morning. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and before his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We want to look at four things from this passage this morning. We want to look First of all, at the problems, Jesus identifies the problems in this church, then the warning and then the main message and, and then finally, the promises that are there the problems, the warning, the message, and the promises that are given not just to this church but they are general principles that we can follow when they 're given to us. In fact, I had a, a group i was I was part of on uh, Thursday evening, a writers group, a group of area writers in And uh, it was my turn to do the devotions. And and I, I took all of the promises from each of the churches and put them together in one piece and had them close their eyes and read those promises over them because these are also promises to us. These are things that if we are faithful, if we follow, if we are the remnant, then we will inherit the gift of heaven. Uh, the late s- singer uh, Keith Green had a song when I first came to Jesus. It was called "Asleep in the Light." I don't know if any of you remember that song, um, one of his more well-known songs in that period, and it was very convicting. Um, it was very prophetic. It was calling God's people back to God. One of the most powerful parts of the song uh, are is this: these two stanzas. The the world is sleeping in the dark, that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Well, it's, it's uh, pretty straight on. It's pretty bold. And Keith was like that. That is part of the problem here at Sardis. They've gone to sleep. They're spiritually dead. And let's look a little closer here at this starting with the problems here the first problem was their reputation jesus says to them i know your deeds you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead you're dead they look good on the outside but on the inside they were dead Uh, have you ever seen death photography of the victorian period It's a little gruesome to look at, but it's also kind of fascinating. Most people in that era didn't own a family photo because it was just too expensive to have your photograph taken. And so there weren't any photographs around until in the late Victorian period. And then there were a whole lot more photographers around. And so the price because of the competition came way down. And so it wasn't unusual when somebody died in the family to have a family portrait taken. Uh, what they would do is they would take the dead person and they would dress them up and they would pretty them up and then they would prop them up. They had these special stands and, and, and it held them in positions that made these dead people look like they were alive. And then the family would stand around them and they would have their family portrait taken. And this was very, very common. They looked alive, but they were dead. Now, in the case of Sardis, they weren't physically dead, but they were spiritually dead. Uh, these days, you know, we, we, we look at the surface, don't we? We drive by and we see a church with a lot of cars and, and we might hear a loud, loud worship or something and we, we get an impression, well, that's a very alive church. That's a really happening church. But we don't know what's going on in the heart. We can't judge by the outside. Prophet Samuel said that God doesn't look on the outside, God looks on the inside. Jesus uh, uses this word dead for impact. I mean, this is how extreme the situation had gotten at Sardis. They weren't physically dead, but, but you know, the expression, you might as well be dead, that's kind of what Jesus is saying to them because they're not really doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything, and they're not being what he called them to be. Uh, remember, this is Jesus speaking through John. Imagine Jesus saying that to us. You're not alive. You just look alive. You're really dead. Imagine Jesus saying that to us. That would be devastating to hear that from Jesus. Imagine a guest coming into the church on a Sunday morning and and their spiritual discernment gift kicks in and it becomes a scene out of the sixth sense. I see dead people. Not good. Not good. Jesus wants life, not death. It has nothing to do with the volume of the music. It has nothing to do with how much we wave our hands or stomp our feet. But it's all about our submission to Jesus. Their spiritual death or their sleep here has a tell. It has a clue about what's going on. Uh, In this case, maybe what's not going on. And that's the second problem here. The second problem is unfinished deeds. Jesus told them, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Unfinished. Incomplete. They had not accomplished what God set out for them to do. They weren't, they hadn't accomplished the mission for which they were created. Our deeds, of course, don't get us into heaven, right? Uh, Instead, our deeds kind of come out of our relationship with God through Jesus. Uh, knowing Jesus is first, and then living a life that follows Jesus and looks like Jesus and is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that flows out of that relationship with God, doesn't it? Works don't get you into heaven. But having no works may be a sign of having no relationship. Jesus says, "I know your deeds. He does. He knows. We can't hide that. We can't hide what we do or what we don't do." And Jesus says, "I know your deeds. I've looked at your works and they aren't finished. They're not complete. They're only half there. If you remember when the, when, when the wall was being rebuilt in Jerusalem, after the captivity period, there was a time when things kind of slowed to a, a halt, and God says to them, "Your work's not finished, the wall's not built." This is what God's saying to this church. You're only half there. You're incomplete. It reminded me of the book of Daniel and the writing on the wall that says, You have been weighed and found wanting. You're incomplete. You're not there yet. You're not what you're supposed to be. You know, doing ministry for Jesus builds us up, right? And it makes us stronger, it helps us into maturity. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for what? For works of service, not just for doing them themselves, but for a reason so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Of Christ. But at Sardis, they weren't doing any good works. They had a reputation that just didn't stand up to the truth. They had no works to demonstrate their ongoing relationship with Jesus. And so, no growing relationship, no maturity, stagnant dead faith. So Jesus calls them dead, asleep. He doesn't leave them that way. He gives them a warning. Here's the warning. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Well, you've heard those words before a couple of times in the New Testament, haven't you? In in Matthew 24, it's a passage about the return of Christ. Let me read this for you. Matthew 24, 42 through 44. And it's right in the middle of this passage. It's all about the return of Christ. And Jesus says... Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, that if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. A little later, it it talks about the thief in the night. It puts that phrase together. In, uh, in a different book. Sardis was a, a great fortress city. It had uh, fallen into ruins at one point, and then the emperor had the whole city rebuilt. And, and it had this natural defense. One side was this, this cliff, this, this bluff that dropped off, and, and it was considered to be unassailable. They couldn't, they couldn't imagine that anybody could ever get up that cliff to attack the city. And so they guarded every other entrance, every other wall was guarded. But twice, not once, but twice, the city was captured, overrun, because people climbed up that steep wall and entered into the city and opened the gates and and the city was taken over. Twice that happened. Well, Jesus may be referring to this a little bit. Um, He's warning the church that they need to be on their guard. They need to be ready you know you can't take something for granted you don't know when the enemy's going to come you don't know when they're going to try to sneak in you don't know when he's going to attack and and they just can't stand on their reputation their reputation is not a secure place to stand because it's based on nothing it's all air underneath it's just a reputation they need to change now they need to repent now they need to return to the word of God that they first received, and, and they need to take hold of it and hold onto it for dear life because their lives depend on it. their eternal lives. When Jesus returns, there won't be any warning. And like these secret climbers, Jesus will come when they aren't watching, when they aren't ready. That'll happen to any of us. We need to be ready all the time. You know, we think we have all the time in the world. But his return might be immediate. In fact, we may see his return before we get to the last song in this service. Because we have no idea the hour or the day, the minute, the second. And when he comes, it's too late to start preparing. The time is done. A little further down In this passage, when Jesus promises believers that the names of the faithful followers will never be blotted out of the book of life, there's kind of an implication that some believers might be blotted out of the book of life. Otherwise, he would have never said it. In fact, there's a very real possibility, and that's a really hard message to receive, especially when we think of it coming from Jesus. We think of Jesus as the one who loves us, But I'll tell you, I would rather have a stern warning than a harsh judgment before the great throne of God. So here's the main message. The main message is a simple one. Wake up. Stop sleeping. Rise from the spiritual dead, not to become the walking dead, but to become the living body of Jesus Christ wake up repent you know the word repent means to turn around right you know there's a sort of the implication that that this church was living with their backs to jesus they weren't looking at jesus and jesus says repent turn around and face me get back to the basics return to the word that you started with grab onto it with both hands and hold fast Well, you know that those words you've heard those before ephesians chapter 6 full armor of god why do we wear the armor why do we wear these boots why are we there so we can hold fast so that we don't give ground when the enemy attacks right you got to be awake you got to be ready we got to be ready not just for the enemy But we got to be ready for the way that Jesus is going to come, for when he's going to come. We don't know when that's going to be. And so we have to be ready. We need to do what we're called to do. Jesus gave us a mission. And the problem with this church is they weren't fulfilling their mission. We need to do it right away because there is not much time left. To do it, Jesus says, "Strengthen what remains, and is about to die." This is a death, a real death, a spiritual death, the second death that can fall on us like a ton of bricks if we're not ready for Jesus. You know, I I studied eschatology, the last things, end times, when I was in college, and when it came to my final exam and I got to the section on last days, and it says, what is your view of the end times? And I didn't know what to write. (laughs) It was like, there's so much stuff you could say in there. And so I wrote in, Jesus is returning, and we better be ready. That's all I wrote, and I got 100%. (laughs) Because that's what it's all about. Jesus is returning, and we need to be ready all the time. we love jesus and he loves us it sounds like a harsh message but, but and and so far it doesn't sound so good but we haven't got to the promises yet and that's the best part it is not too late for this church or for any of us to turn around is it because god gives us the opportunity of repentance Here are the promises, and here's how it started. He starts with those who are faithful. He says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. There are some who are still faithful in the church. God has preserved a remnant. You know, all through scriptures, if you've not heard this before, uh, it's an important thing to understand this. The theologians call it remnant theology. And you see it all the way through the Old Testament. You see it all the way through the, ne- the New Testament. These pockets of faithful people that God preserves for himself. If you think back to the story of Elijah, you know, there's Elijah. He's, he's just had his greatest victory in defeating the, the, you know, the prophets of Baal. And, and then he gets into this place where he, he starts to feel like, oh <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> and so he runs, and he hides in a cave. And, and, and he's, he gets depressed, and he's lonely, and, and he's burned out, and he's tired. And then God speaks to him, and God says, hey, wait a minute, I've still got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to the, pra- to the Baal. You're not alone. There was a remnant. There were faithful ones. God always, always preserves a remnant. And in Sardis, even in this dead church, God has faithful servants. And God promises that they will walk in white robes because they are worthy. White robes represent. Purity in this case and only the faithful in the book of Revelation are allowed to wear them and it says and like them just like them anyone who turns and repents everyone who follows Jesus will like them be dressed in white and walk with Jesus now these people weren't perfect they didn't glow in the dark these people were faithful, and Jesus forgave, or forgave their sins as if they never happened. That's the only way we get righteousness, is Jesus forgives us. But when he forgives us, it's as if we've never sinned at all. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And Jesus says, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But we'll acknowledge that the name or that name before my father and his angels. Later on in the book of Revelation, we'll read as we go further in this series, we'll read about the Lamb's book of life. This is the, the book where our names get written. That mean that we're going to live with Christ forever. We're going to be, we are the saved, we are the the ones who are going to experience the new heaven and the new earth. We're the ones who are going to experience this this whole new plane of existence that starts with heaven. And all our names, if we follow Jesus, will be written there. And our names will never be removed from the Lamb's book of life. And our Lord will acknowledge our names before the Father and the congregation of heaven that's the promise that's the promise whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches can you hear what God's saying to you can you hear what God's saying to the churches and maybe to this church are we alive or are we dead are we awake Or are we asleep? It's time to wake up. It's time to finish the work that God has called you to. Are you ready for that? Or are you like I am on my day off? On my day off, it's like, go away, just let me sleep. God calls you and I to be the remnant, to be the faithful ones, to be the ones who continue on in our faith and don't give up no matter what happens. If we've fallen asleep... Or gotten off track he calls us to repent and to return to look at him to focus on him and leave our sin behind to put our faith in Jesus and one day we'll receive that white robe and we'll walk with Christ in heaven are you prepared to do that let's go into prayer And consider before God, if we're ready, let's re-consecrate ourselves as we finish up today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, wake me up. Fill me with fresh wonder. Fill me with life and drive out the death. Let me do works of service that show who the Lord of my life really is. Lord, in these moments before I receive your supper, I ask again forgiveness for my sin. I open my heart again to ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross, that you paid the price of my sins, and I want to live forever with you. And so I'm asking you, please, be my Lord and Savior. And help me to follow you. And help me to remain active for you throughout my entire life in jesus name i pray amen